Hello, my name is Brian Erlocker. Two years ago, I started working on a project of Lovecraftian fiction. Some of the stories are going to be released as a podcast. The project started out as a novel about a series of professors at a university in North Dakota. But last summer, I got excited about the idea of sending my characters out into the larger world. The International Chronicles of the Chester Fritz Professors is the result of that idea. The first episode sets the stage. It's not super plot-heavy, but I hope you enjoy listening. Metal banded lights buzzed as Elizabeth Dunley, Dean of the College of Education, pushed her walker down the underground corridor. The painted cinder block walls and poured concrete floor felt cold. Above, the April sun was at long last beginning to beat back snow. Students were out in belly shirts and cargo shorts, a sure sign of spring. The tunnel corridor, however, was a remnant of the Cold War and reflected the Spartan necessity of survival rather than the softer comforts of university architecture. At the second steel door, Elizabeth turned, positioned her walker, braced a hand against the cinder block, and pulled the heavy door open. A young man, Jim Galgadet, saw her efforts from within the room and quickly bounded over to help her shift the door open. He stood to the side while she shuffled through before closing the door after her. Jim was in his early forties, clean-shaven, but with an untidy mop of silver-black hair. Elizabeth had found him to be generally pleasant, although she only knew him in a professional capacity. Others nodded a greeting as Elizabeth pushed her way around to her accustomed seat at the large conference table. Galgadet assisted her in taking a seat and then folded her walker and leaned it against the wall behind her. Around the table sat a mix of colleagues, some she had known for years like Dr. Abraham Belcom and Dr. Tim Fetterstead. Others she had fought alongside. That list included Dr. Frank Zilka and Dr. Jim Galgadet and Dr. Marcia Seltzer. Dr. Seltzer was the chair of the social work department, but she had started her academic career as a member of the Weather Underground. Elizabeth and Marcia had started meeting for tea after Elizabeth's hip had been shattered. They had talked at length about the strange twists of fate imposed upon them by their work. Elizabeth had joked that when she first came to the university, a naive freckled redhead, she was looking to earn her MRS degree, and failing to locate a suitable MR, or better yet, DR, would teach home economics. She had left the university a decade later with prematurely graying hair, a doctorate degree, and a divorce. Marcia had started in a different world, transitioning smoothly from an elite East Coast prep school to Swarthmore and then on to Columbia for graduate school. Their two paths could not have been more different, but the Chester Fritz professorship had joined them and combat had welded them. Elizabeth noted with a strange mix of sadness and hope that the group's newer members had taken up the recently emptied chairs. To her left sat the chemist, Dr. Cynthia Sue Price. Further down to the right was the medical doctor, Arnold Hunt. The new chief of university police, Norm Rollins, was sitting next to President Kendall Baker. Baker was perfectly coiffed with a thick head of silver black hair. Suit was well tailored gray. They made small talk while the remaining seven Chester Fritz distinguished professors filtered into the underground conference room. When the last of the number had taken a seat, Abe Belcom called the meeting to order as was his role as the senior most member still actively employed by the university. They proceeded through the approval of minutes and a brief round of announcements before turning the floor over to President Baker. Ken thanked Abe and then delivered the judgment that Elizabeth had been dreading for a full 12 months. Gentlemen, ladies, 
I've reviewed in detail the report you provided me on the events surrounding the Battle of the Chester Fritz Library, and I'm furious, absolutely furious. You've endangered our university. For more than 30 years, you've put at risk the students and faculty and staff in our community. You put the very city in danger, and you did this all without once considering, contemplating, or acknowledging the risks. The rebuke hung in the air. Elizabeth watched her colleagues. Some looked angry. Some held their heads downcast in shame. Only Frank Zilka and surprisingly Cynthia Sue Price mastered their reactions in the face of such a caustic dressing down. Elizabeth realized someone needed to push back against President Baker's interpretation of events. As the dean, she was the best place to step into the line of fire. President Baker, that is neither accurate nor a fair assessment of events. Her voice cracked as she spoke, but Elizabeth was proud that it was the crackle of age, not of fear. Oh, I think it's a fair summary, Dean Dunley. When I started at the university, you were on the team that briefed me on your group's activities. I recall the meeting quite vividly for its, uh, absurdity. Had President Clifford not vouched for you, I would not have believed any of it. What I recall from the meeting is that your group assists with the management of the Chester Fritz Library, which has some dual purpose, filtering or shielding out harmful radiation. I don't remember any of this. What was it, this animus tenebris that is mentioned in your postmortem? This report is a complete repudiation of your original presentation, and quite frankly, it's insane. President Baker held the postmortem report on the Battle of the Chester Fritz Library up for all to see before slamming it down to the table in emphasis. With all due respect, President Baker, Frank Zilka responded after the silence had become painful. Those who briefed you back in 1992 were working with an antiquated understanding of what we're up against. Elizabeth quietly pleaded that Frank would not take the opportunity to hang Abe and Tim out to dry. The man had been understandably critical of the lack of curiosity in his academic rivals, but this was not the time for pettiness. The whole enterprise was in danger. Frank continued, In the last couple years, we've come to better understand the threat. It isn't, as was previously thought, background radiation distorting human cognitive functioning, but rather a malign superintelligence working to impose its will upon humanity. I'm sorry we didn't keep you fully briefed on shifting theoretical models, but I assure you, no one sought to mislead you or hide the nature of the threat. And did, uh, the nature of the threat, as you say, include an invasion of... President Baker paused, retrieving the spiral-bound report and searching through several dog-eared pages. I'm quoting here. Frog men with white bellies and big monsters and small with bony fins. Oh. And this is my personal favorite, fish-faced frog fuckers. The president slapped the report down the second time. Did you see this coming, Dr. Zilka? Did your new theory anticipate this, this tomfuckery? And think hard before you answer, because if you say yes, I'm going to fire the whole lot of you for endangering the university. And if you say no, I'm going to fire the whole lot of you for gross incompetence. You can't fire us, Ken. We all have tenure, which means a minimum a standing committee on faculty rights review. You don't want that kind of fight. 
Elizabeth's words delivered a quiet but clear challenge. Baker's control, however, did not waver, although a rare flash lit his eyes. I'm not sure where your focus has been, Dean Dunley, but for the last year now, there have been people quartered in every spare room on this campus. We have families living in storage closets. Their homes, their lives were destroyed by the tens of thousands. If you think tenure is a shield after what this university has been through, after what the flood did to this community, Tim Fetterstead interrupted. Uh, President Baker, if you'll refer to pages 73 through 78 of the report, and the evidence, it's overwhelming that the confluence of factors behind the flood, they were all natural. It was a once in 500 year event, and the creatures, the things that... Fish face frog fuckers, Baker supplied dryly. Tim stumbled, but continued. Well, the flood would have happened even without the invasion, Tim said. As the hydrology expert, Tim had been one of the principal drafters of the post-mortem report. Elizabeth was grateful that he had found the courage to defend the hydrological findings, even if he hadn't had the courage to stand on the barricade and fight. And the fire, President Baker countered. Tim's courage shattered, and he looked down, unable to meet the President's gaze. Look, people, I don't think that you intended this, but it is impossible to read this report and not come to the conclusion that you were utterly unprepared and that we survived this thing by dumb luck. You didn't win this fight. The Air Force won this fight, or more specifically, we survived because a captain with a fortunate combination of charisma and poor judgment threw a company of airmen into combat without any authorization to do so. Elizabeth noted that nearly every single person in the room who had fought for those 14 horrible nights in the barricade was taught with rage. The imprisonment of Captain Tyrese Clark in an asylum remained a point of active outrage for those that knew him. President Baker, Norm said softly, I was on the barricade. That first night, and your assessment is absolutely right, the Chester Fritz distinguished professors lacked the numbers to defend the library. They lacked the weaponry. They lacked the training. Some had courage. Norm's eyes flashed to Elizabeth, Frank, and Jim. But courage is not a substitute for competence. Baker shook his head. Which is why... We would be better off putting an end to this whole society. It'd save money and probably lives. The creatures didn't attack the library because we were defending it, Frank countered. They attacked it because it's important. And that, Elizabeth realized, was the nub of the problem. Baker was angry, but his anger was misdirected. Are you prepared to tear down the library, President Baker? Elizabeth asked. The university president was struck by the question. The sheer absurdity of the idea was in contrast to the seriousness with which Elizabeth posed it. Well, no, Baker responded. I've been working 16 hours a day to save this university. I'm not about to tear down its flagship building. The tension in the room eased ever so slightly, and Norm Rollins picked up his earlier point. Mr. President, if the library stays, then it needs to be adequately defended. I don't know what that would look like, but we need to be better positioned to hold our own. President Baker leaned back in his chair. He looked tired, but also pensive. Elizabeth wondered if the man had another year left in him as university president. He had been a force of nature from the day he had called out students to help him sandbag to his nearly daily phone calls with state and federal officials. We can't just hold our own. The stakes are just too high, Frank declared. 
Elizabeth grimaced at that. Frank had been making this exact argument for years. President Baker rubbed at his temples. What I found troublesome about this postmortem report is that there's no plan for how to get out ahead of this sort of thing in the future. We've been in survival mode for a year now, and that's not okay. Baker's eyes circled the room, sizing up the nearly two dozen men and women. They ranged in ages from early 40s to late 80s. They were of mixed metal and difficult personalities. It's time to go on offense, Baker continued. So I'm going to give you one summer to demonstrate that you can get out ahead of this, uh, this mess. You got three months to show that you can control the ice, that you can run a power play against whatever opponents are out there. I want a global threat assessment by September 15th. Who are our opponents? What will it take to be competitive? What are the risks and the costs and the opportunities? You got three months to show me that we can play offense. I want to take some shots on goal, people. Can you do that? We'll make it happen, Ken, Elizabeth asserted with as much confidence as she could muster. President Baker nodded. Uh, that's my motto. I hope you've enjoyed the first episode of the International Chronicles of the Chester Fritz Professors. As I mentioned at the start, there's more to come, and I hope to be rolling out a new story every month. I have a number of ideas for where to go with this series, and I'm working around a book project that has already been developed, but I always welcome feedback, so if there's something you'd like to see, or something you really enjoy about the project, please let me know. Also, I'd like to flag that this is the setup story. If you weren't completely sold, please give us one more, maybe two more chances to really get in to see what the Chester Fritz professors are all about.